If there's one thing we do know in this industry, it's that brands are often held to really unrealistic standards when it comes to innovation and digital transformation, but often not by real consumers. It's actually by other brands and other marketers and industry voices. Now, today's guest, Jerry Dakin, speaks a lot about digital transformation for brands, having spent the last three years as global media lead at GSK, bringing their dozens of brands and markets into the 21st century. From that to 10 years ago, when he was social media manager at Cadbury, he's seen a lot and learned a lot about brand hustle culture and where social and digital can actually make a tangible difference. Yeah, Jerry's a breath of fresh air when it comes to speaking about topics that people typically tiptoe around. I think it's fair to say he's quite outspoken on the topic and there's no mincing words, which I I actually really enjoyed. If you've not seen already, go to Jerry's LinkedIn and check out his blogs where he speaks in more detail about this. So coming up, Jerry shares his six Ps for digital transformation, why likes and comments shouldn't be your main metrics, how brands can keep up with digital transformation and why organic social might not be dead just yet. Well, Jerry, thanks so much for joining us today. It's great to have you on. And as our listeners will know, every week we start off with our overarching question. And this week that is, what does digital transformation look like for brands in 2022? Yeah, I think, I mean, digital transformation is a big question around your whole business. But I think I've been focusing a lot on just like the advertising, the marketing side. And I think digital transformation is about having digital sense. And it's about seeing, you know, there is always crazy stuff out there, Web3, Metaverse, you know, all that kind of crazy NFTs going on. All of which is kind of interesting, but probably not what most brands need to kind of jump on to drive their transformation. It's about kind of evaluating what are the opportunities, what's going to really drive growth for your brand. And also, you know, digital isn't really new anymore. So it's loads of like really well proven stuff. You should just be doing well, like social media. And you should really be focusing on making sure you're set up and equipped to do the, the stuff that we, we know works. And yeah, then you can dabble with some of that that more crazy cutting edge stuff. But for me, transformation is actually getting a lot of the basics right. And not that many businesses really do that yet which is about you know the right partners but also the right processes and people and stuff internally yeah and you know speaking of processes it was your marketing week article and of course your linkedin blog um that we were having a little look at a few weeks ago in which you detailed six p's for digital transformation so would you be able to run us through those just quickly um, and explain a bit about that definitely and it kind of came because I, I i've just left gsk and i've been there for about three and a half years and driven quite a lot of this sort of transformation there so i tried to think like what had we done to achieve it so the six P's, if I get them all right, so the first one is people. I have a much we talk about tech or anything where people driven business. So you've got to bring your people along with you. You've got to build that capability. The biggest one for me, actually, is in some ways, is partners. There's only so much. I know we love to insource and do things differently, but you, you still really want to have external partners that know what they're doing, that can help, can accelerate and getting those yeah. right and working with them in the right way, like treating them as equals and getting the best out of them. There's some boring stuff around process. Like, you know, you've got to have you know, think about your marketing process, think about your annual business planning and cycle. Like how is, you know, digital transformation, different channels, social being built into that? For me, it's a lot about passion. Like I think one of the things I bring is I'm really passionate and enthusiastic about it. And that breaks down a lot of barriers because by default, people can, you know, people don't always want to change. People like, you know, like what works and they don't want to try new things. So if you're if a lot of passion can really push past that. Uh, we did a lot of pilots, like I, I talked at the start, you know, you've got to get the basics right. But of course, you need to be mm. testing and pushing new stuff. But in the in the pilots world, it's kind of doing that proportionally. And the last one was kind of like P for performance, which is, you know, it's got to work at the end of the day. And sure, if you're doing like some pilot or some test or something, maybe you can't always tell what it has. But if you're, if you're really scaling something up, you've, you've got to know that's going to drive 
you know, performance for your business, for your brand, and you've got to find a way of measuring it. So yeah, somewhere in there, there were six Ps. <laughs> I think it's interesting as well, especially what you said just now about how once upon a time, digital transformation was social for so many brands. And now it's sort of like, well, what's next? And obviously, there's a lot of attention on Web3 and NFTs um, and things like that. But there's always something new, isn't there? There's always something new. And I, I get excited by the new thing. I spent I spend a lot of time telling teams not to do it. But I do also get really excited by the, the new things. And I've, you know, I've done lots of first in my time like we were you know, like the first shazamable tv ads and we were like you know we, we had one of the first cabbies we had one of the first packs that you could scan in augmented reality and stuff and we but we approached those things knowing they were going to be kind of test and learns small budgets small resources but worth worth doing to learn it's when you become completely distracted by you know oh i just want to do the shiny new thing um i just want to chase you know yeah we've, we've got to take our entire 2022 strategy and make it about nfts you've probably gone a little bit wrong somewhere yeah i mean with with brands what you ideally want to do is not play it safe but like you say get your basics in order first and then you can start experimenting and looking at social and staying on social for a while i think i want to take a look at trends and how brands can really tap into them so typically trends arise from you know native audiences on platforms who typically do something ridiculous that goes viral people then copy and then obviously snowballs from there or they've either hacked the platform and they found a way to boost growth that way so when young consumers are typically you know they're the ones driving this they're typically what five steps ahead of the brands in terms of the channels they're using the content they like they drive these trends so how can brands actually keep up with them it always seems like they're chasing the tail a little bit i don't know probably two answers to that one which is to an extent they don't have to so to an extent you know you're a brand you can have a voice you can have an opinion you have a creative platform you have what you stand for and some of that you mm -hmm. know if you've done your job well is is timeless and you, you don't have to jump on kind of every moment every opportunity but of course there are really good reasons why you'd want to you know to be relevant to gain some of that occasional extra reach and things like that i think where social goes a bit wrong is when you get stuck on this kind of treadmill of like i just you know i continually need mm. to be chasing the next thing pumping something out so definitely have that solid foundation i think beyond that it's a lot of it's about brand fit so like where, where are those moments like if you're just inserting your brand in there but it's like totally random and totally relevant it doesn't ultimately you know come back to your brand at all it doesn't land with anything else you're doing i think it can be a bit random and to be honest a waste of time even if you get some you know some good numbers that you put in a spreadsheet somewhere it's got to fit with your brand like your brand has to have something to say in that moment which is easier for some brands than others easier for kind of you know entertainment and sports and certain brands and others but yeah you've got to, you've got to have a fit and a reason to jump in on that moment if you're just doing it because you think it's your job as like a community manager to be in every single conversation then i think again you're gonna just exhaust yourself <laughs> we do see that a lot though don't we and i think it's good to sort of say as a disclaimer you don't have to keep up with everything you talk about all those firsts and you know pilots being one of your peas. I think for me, the point of trying all these new things when they come out is to see what sticks and see what works for you. Like try everything, but if it doesn't work, like don't be doing it just to try the thing if that yeah. makes sense. But it's like just to see if it works for you. That's something you can then continue doing instead of ditching it and going on to the next thing, right? Yeah. And I, back in the day, I worked with the Oreo team when they were doing their famous Dunk in the Dark tweet. And I mean, I wasn't in no way involved in sending that tweet, but you know, we worked with the team kind of before and afterwards. And I think was they had like this whole year long campaign around like 
twisting every moment, the, the cookie being relevant to that moment, really embedding themselves in culture. And so it was like a supernatural extension to like try something more radical, try something that took that to the next level. Like, you know, we've done print ads, we've done social posts, why don't we go it live? But it was kind of an, a natural evolution of that. And they had the kind of muscle memory. It wasn't just, hey, we're a cookie. We've never done anything before. We're going to suddenly hijack the Super Bowl. And I think that's where kind of some brands go from that kind of all to nothing when there's, you know, a nice journey to go along. <laughs> well, talking of journeys, you'll have seen all this, right? So you went from, is it community manager at Cadbury? Is that right? Yeah, once upon a time, I was hands-on, manning the pages, answering questions about halal chocolate and all sorts. <laughs> so perfect. So you've seen, you know, how people are interact from from that level up to global media lead at GSK and I know you've just left. Uh, so what's that experience taught you about the way marketers approach digital marketing? Because sometimes it was seen as just the thing that someone did that was cool on the side. <laughs> Do you have some, you know, some goods and some bads of what people say about digital on your journey? I Actually, I mean, that really was kind of my experience because I actually, before I was community manager, I was a more general marketer. I was kind of a actually a head of marketing for a small charity. And when I got the job at Cadbury, they they said they really struggled to find kind of social people who had that balance of being, yes, you're a social person, but you also kind of get marketing. You get like how to yeah. talk to the rest of the business. I think, you know, that was the best part of 10 years ago now. We have a lot more of those people now, thankfully, who kind of Yeah, I was going to say, but it wasn't yeah. commonplace at all like then. Yeah, exactly. And it, they were saying like, they interviewed lots of people who were like super into the details of like memes and trends and all this cool stuff on Twitter, but didn't know how to tie that back to the business and it has been a real journey for me because yeah I went from for a big company like Cadbury at the time we were quite a bootstrapped operation like we, we had an agency who helped us occasionally but for the most part like we were creating a lot of the content a lot of the ideas and like I say literally trying to respond to like you know consumer feedback and stuff through to now when like it's been quite a long time since I ever sort of actually logged into a social profile and posted or said anything and you know now we have many companies are working like several layers of approval and stuff so that has been a change but I think it's given me a kind of a unique perspective into kind of what I think it can be like as a, as a kind of a community manager, a lot of the pressure that gets put on you. And I think especially from the kind of the top down when when people set KPIs and targets and say, you know, you've got to hit this or improve this or, you know, smash what you did last month and, and what that can turn into. You know, I did loads of sort of stuff I probably wouldn't be super proud of now, like engagement baiting stuff of like desperately trying to get people. Well, you could jump on those trends we talked about. Yeah, and you can do it well and you can do it quite badly. And, you know, we did loads of like retweet to win competitions and stuff because it got us loads of numbers and things. But like, what were people really like, you know, for a brand like Cadbury, that makes you look a bit desperate really to be doing something like that. But the numbers were great. <laughs> yeah, I think it's interesting you say that as well, because obviously having had engagement as one of your key um, let's say goals for that position at Cabaret like all the way up to you know being media lead at uh, GSK and how that's obviously been more focused on digital transformation and this sort of real effective performance marketing is that what caused you to say that you think social engagement is meaningless because I've been told to stay away from the controversy but we like to lean into it <laughs> I'm interested to hear more because we have had this discussion umpteen times about um, you know ditching vanity metrics and um, you know going after real meaningful metrics like reach and, and things like that but after reading your blog it was just an interesting perspective I think considering you've been in that position and then having moved to the other side yeah can you explain to us you know you're thinking behind that and you know why why that is and which businesses that applies to you know you said a brand like Cadbury's it's a bit desperate if you're doing x y and z but is that the same across the board yeah I can I can be fairly outspoken both on kind of engagement and really 
And when I say that, I guess I literally mean in the most pure sense of like likes, clicks, comments, you know, engagement also means a broader thing of, you know, consumers caring and noticing what you're doing. And also around like organic reach and just generally this kind of slight hustle culture of like just trying to like game algorithms and what time of day do I need to push it and all that work. And sometimes uh, people like accuse me of like downplaying the role of a community manager and kind of saying, you know, oh, social is just advertising. You just put a big poster, throw some money and you're done. It's almost the op- opposite. It's because I know the kind of what it's like to be a community manager and like how much love and energy and stuff you put into that. And also how important those people can be and how powerful a voice for your brand they can be. I get really frustrated when you have teams of people doing that who you know aren't getting the platform they deserve like I actually presented to the KFC team a while ago and their social media manager got a little bit upset that I was saying you know really guy like I love what you're doing but like it'd be like a hundred times better if your colleagues just gave you a bit more money to so and I was like I don't know why that upsets you because I'm saying you're doing a great thing wouldn't you know and it, it becomes this mindset that you have to like you know to be a truly good community manager you have to earn your reach you have to earn your audience like don't be afraid to put some money behind it and like and like smash it and engagement for me is, is this watch out because of course in theory like lots of people gauging and talking to and wanting to respond to your brand is a, is a good thing but you have to be careful about it because you know in an extreme situation for instance a, one way to get an engagement would be to like post pictures of some kittens you know lots of people would like like it and say oh that's really nice i like kittens but unless you happen to like sell something that's related to kittens or you know have a marketing campaign that's got cats in it's just it's not doing anything for your brand and you find in a small way that happens a lot that like you know with a with a spreadsheet that tracks engagement month on month you have to kind of chase those clicks chase those you know likes and also when you think about who is engaging and we did quite a lot of research on this when we were at Cadbury like there's there's kind of a really small core group of people that do engage and the more you pander to them the less your content is like interesting and relevant to the people who aren't clicking who aren't you know who just more passively watching it so I, I i don't think that organic social is a bad thing you know i think and especially like community management that kind of thing i don't think that having good engagement in your post is a bad thing you know when you don't pay any money behind what you're doing i think it's a lot of effort for very little results and if you get really focused on engagement as kpi i think you can like go down a bad funnel whereas if it's kind of like a secondary metric where you're like yeah it's going well but we've also tracked you know, yeah, our reach and our brand impact. And, and Yeah, that's it. I think it's different purposes. I mean, like going back to the blog that you wrote, what really stuck out to me is you made a really good point, actually. It was quite thought-provoking. The way that if a tweet bangs for a big brand or even a smaller brand, even if it gets like 100,000 likes, it's like how many of those people are customers? And even if they were all customers, which they're not going to be, would that even impact the brand's bottom line? But it did get me thinking, should sales be the purpose of organic social? Or are we sort of fully aware we're doing it for another reason? You know, it comes back to that, should all marketing be sales-led? Which I know as a performance marketer, you're sort of inclined to be like, well, it should be doing something for the brand. But if that something isn't sales, is that all right? Yeah, well, I mean, I've always worked in brand marketing businesses. I just believe they need to perform. And yeah, I mean... Marketing's ultimate job is to drive sales. There's no no two ways about it. But there can be a long gap between it. I'm absolutely not mm. saying that everything you post on social should be like half price, buy now, go there. It's like totally yeah, no, fine to be posting like <laughs> funny, crazy stuff that's, you know, building your brand. Like there are lots of, you know, innocent smoothies and stuff, to, like talking your brand voice, like, you know, they, they could do some more paid media so more people saw it. But, you know, like, there's, there's lots, you don't, you don't have to jump straight from like, yeah, from nothing. And especially in, in an environment you're often in, 
again, it depends a bit on the brand. Like maybe if you're a fashion brand or something, Instagram, you can go straight from kind of nothing to sales. But like no one's going to buy a chocolate bar or a toothpaste or, a, you know, a pint of Guinness off Instagram. So you're definitely not trying to sell people there and then. You are you are building a brand. But you have to find ways of measuring that at a, at a big scale. If anything, at a really big scale, it becomes easier again. By the time you're reaching millions of people, then you can you can see the impact of your social on your sales, on your brand tracking. You can work with the various platforms and do brand lift surveys and things and you can get lots of really good metrics i think it's trickier if you're a smaller business it doesn't have the scale doesn't have the budgets that deliver that you know it's one it's fine to say engagement is not the right metric but it's tough if you haven't then got a metric to replace it with because you've got to measure yourself somehow we have found that like quite passive forms of engagement can be quite good like if you're making video content like watching like the view through rates and how long people stick with your content and stuff like that can be kind of more interesting than just like did people like it yeah well that goes on to kind of organic metrics right but i I want to stay on organic versus social for a little while because we know the argument you know organic versus paid your organic social's dead and if you want any real tangible results then it has to be paid i think probably a more holistic view on that's that organic social is retention based and then paid is for growth don't know if you'd agree with that loosely broadly when you're like you're talking about hitting it to like that same pool of people where it's basically are you speaking to your followers or people who you want to follow you yeah and I def- again it depends a lot on your industry there, there are certainly industries where retention is really important and where you do want to have that kind of really good ongoing you know engagement with commerce then there are, there are industries where just that isn't the case but yes i can see that organic social talking to kind of your your core fans is, is more in that retention space yeah well, I guess the question here is then how how should brands approach the way they communicate with existing fans of the brand? So the ones who follow them, enjoy the organic content versus people with kind of no interest in the brand who would typically be that paid audience. How can you approach the two because they're so radically different? They are radically different. But one of the answers is that if you can appeal to the people who don't really care, the people who do care are going to absolutely bloody love it. And I think that's the yeah. kind of, that's almost nice. the creative challenge, like the creative challenge of, of making people who don't care about your brands, like stop, click, look, stop scrolling, actually pay attention. It's much harder than the creative challenge of like, you know, your super fan who like responds to every single thing you, I used to have people at Cambridge who I could say by name and like would have conversations with and, you know, no, per, you know, almost too much about them. Um, they were on like, the payroll. Yeah, almost. I they were. <laughs> um, I like, you don't need to stop them. Like, if you do something really creative, intelligent, you know, brilliant, they'll see that as well. So a lot of that is my guiding light. And I think that's why at times in my career, we've, tr- we've tried things like, oh, let's let's make content that really works for the fans and then boost it out to a wider audience. But there are some risks in that as well, because you might find something that's like, oh my gosh, like that really resonates with people who are like obsessed with your brand and kind of know everything about it. But you actually need to find something that resonates with people who just don't care about you. That's kind of like the, the exciting, and that's a really great creative challenge. You, you've got to work harder. And if you can crack that, you're doing a brilliant job. Yeah, and I think that's actually a really interesting point, especially, um, you know, what you said about if someone who has no interest in the brand likes that, then it's really likely that whoever actually likes it already is going to respond to that as well. But, you know, I think talking a little bit more about those metrics that we want to retire. So, like, I think I'd call them vanity metrics still. So, like, likes, comments, shares, etc. If, say, you're a brand who doesn't have a huge budget for paid and organic is still taking up, say, like 80% of your output, what metrics do we think are 
are more important to focus on and can perhaps do a bit more t- for them to translate into some more tangible business results like sales? I always, when, you, when I hear questions like that, I'm a bit like, well, if you can't afford to do paid, maybe you can't afford to be on the platform and, you know, you should you should focus your efforts on kind of one or two things where you can do them well and scale. You know, the, the brutal answer is if you're a much smaller brand who, you know, who can't do some of those other brand lifts who can't, you know, you, you can do, um, even with quite small amounts of money, you can boost the posts so it's not just being seen by your fans, it's being seen by a wider audience. And then potentially the kind of engagement and response to that is a, is a bit more of an indicator. I think yeah, the, the reality is if, you, if, you're, if you're doing things at a low scale, they're going to be tricky to measure. And, and, you know, maybe vanity metrics are what you have. But if you're doing something at a small scale, step back and say, is it worthwhile for my business? Now, if your business works at a small scale, fair enough, you know, if... if 50 extra customers makes a massive difference to your business, then keep cracking a lot of smaller businesses, local businesses, it makes perfect sense. But if you're like a big company, and you just haven't invested that much in social, and you're not measuring or seeing any impact, you're probably not doing it at a scale that that matters. And I think that's a kind of a sense check. We've we've stopped a lot of our brands at GSK, we just stopped them doing social because they were doing like lots and lots of effort to, you know, post to almost no one or they were putting like $200 behind a, a campaign and then spending, you know, like we spent millions of pounds on telly. It was like, do it or don't do it. But yeah, I, I, I've, it's been a long time since I was one of those sort of small, small business community managers. Maybe there probably is still some value to the metrics there. Yeah, the rules have changed like a million yeah. times since then as well. I think, you know, once upon a time, it was a free platform where it was like free exposure, basically. It doesn't work that way anymore. I do have a question though, because I'm a bit of a paid novice. Our listeners will know it's not my strongest point. But every time we speak to someone who's, you know, um, specializing in paid, talk about boosting posts. All I've heard up till now is that's generally a really bad thing but you're saying it can be a good thing like there's a good way to do it well no i, I we, we experimented with it a lot and then we we got to a bit of a caution on it because what we were doing was like testing stuff out of our fans and then boosting it and that didn't necessarily work so i think it's a if you're a really small business then it could be a good way to work if you're you know being much a bigger bigger brand you're much more structured i don't think it is the right way to work necessarily yeah i think i mean obviously different social platforms have different natures as well you know there are places like TikTok, etc., which, you know, are in a different stage in their development, maybe there's more to be done there a bit organically. And, and even with, I always find it, it's interesting that we say, you know, you used, you know, they used to be free to play and now you pay to play. But when Facebook was free to pay, it was a much smaller opportunity. Like, yes, you know, at a time, like we ran the biggest, I ran the two of the three biggest Facebook pages in the UK, like Whisper and Cream Egg were like cut over a million fans each. They were the biggest Facebook pages in the UK. And they were reaching, you know, several hundred thousand people a week which was good it was nice it was kind of free um but the, the day cream egg first ran like a serious advertising campaign which for them was like three hundred thousand pounds we reached like 20 30 million people in the uk and so it went from being a, like a free to play opportunity that's quite nice to like a wow this is actually a really serious meaningful marketing channel that we need we need to pay attention now obviously that's a really big brand really big budgets but it kind of scales down as well. Like if you're a small, if you're a small local business, when it was free, great. You know, you could hustle on social media. No one was charging you. But as soon as you can like pay 10 quids and a thousand people in your postcode can see your post, that is like so much more useful. Mm. And I actually think it's like a shame that like small businesses, like, oh, I haven't got the money to do social. So I'm just going to spend lots of my time, like spend 10 quids, spend 20 quids, spend, spend something that kind of gets you a little bit outside of your friends and family who are the ones following you to start with. <laughs> yeah, literally. I mean, we would talk about um, the difference for different brands there a bit. And I think 
it's similar, you know, when we talk about as an industry, we're focusing on that. I've named drug Duolingo like a million times in the last six months alone because I love what they're doing on TikTok and things like Nike and Innocent, (laughs) their their brand names get dropped a lot. And I think there's a difference that you talk about Cadbury, like you could name fans by their first names because some brands and some products are inherently talkable. Uh, They are just more interesting. But, you know, now if all the advice is based on those kind of brands and directed for and about those kind of brands, are we finding that there's a bunch of, you know, maybe a bit more boring, less exciting <laughs> brands, maybe more like B2B marketers who are making the wrong strategy choices for them on social because it's different rules for the Nikes of the world? Yeah, I mean, it definitely is. When I've got into this sort of debate with loads of people, like people throw at you like Nike and, you know, these Red Bull and other companies like, well, you know, giving Nike as an example of something doesn't work is is really yeah. a helpful example. And there certainly are industries, you know, like entertainment, sports. If kind of what you're saying is like an in, is interesting in itself, then actually you can break a lot of these rules. You know, you can like football clubs and things, you know, they're probably not spending a lot of money on paid media and they're having a huge reach because they just got the passion. Most marketers, um, you, you know, the thing you're selling is not as interesting. So you're telling stories to try and wrap around it. Now, there are, there are brands like, you know, um, insurance comparison is a really boring thing, but because it's really boring, those brands, you know, compare the market and you know, compare the meerkat and things like that. You know, have, have built these like crazy brand platforms to give them something to say, to give them to somebody to talk about, not just in social but across the board. And the same is true to an extent in social. Like, if your brand is a little bit boring, like if you're a, a washing powder, you know, there's only so much you can tell people about the you know the washing powder. But like brands like Purcell have like dirt is good, and they talk about getting messy yeah. and playful and stuff and you and you find a voice and definitely when you get into into b2b like b2b is a very different dynamic because often the numbers of people you need to talk to are way 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 smaller so you can even get to like direct messaging and stuff like that but also like super super specific and therefore like b2b is a great example where you know if if you you know if you're on linkedin or something and you know that there's you know this certain job title is what buys my makes this decision you know, put some paid media behind it, re- reach those those people. But yeah, you need to find the right strategy for your brand. And I've, I have largely worked in kind of big FMCG companies. So there's kind of, there's an extent to which you might think, oh, you know, my category, my company breaks the rules. But there are also like some like big rules of marketing, like marketing science, that, you know, brands grow by penetration. You have to drive mental, physical availability. Some of this stuff, which if you don't know about, you know, go and research like how brands grow and stuff like that applies to every category. There are some ways in which other categories break the rules. But often if you find yourself saying, oh, don't worry, none of that applies to my category, you're probably making excuses. And what you really need to say is, yeah, I get that that's a challenge, but the way I'm working around it or how we're solving for it is is this kind of... Yeah. It's interesting, yeah, because you mentioned Nike there. Obviously, they've recently ventured into Web3, which actually kind of brings us full circle to what we were talking about before. You know, some brands could be looking at that and going, oh, <laughs> we need to get in Web3 immediately. Everything's Web3. Sack the socials off. And that doesn't set a precedent, but it, <laughs> it can be dangerous for smaller brands if they believe, you know, that's the way to go. Mm. If they're just copying the bigger brands there, right? Yeah, I mean, Nike is a really great example for lots of things. On on Facebook, one of the one of the interesting things, if you really want to get into this nowadays, on Facebook and, and Instagram, you can look at what adverts brands are running and stuff, and you can really get yeah. into the details. And Nike mm-hmm. is an interesting one because their main page, and I 
unless they've changed us over the last year or so, hasn't like actually hasn't posted anything organically in about five years. Mm, so Apple, but they, they don't need to. Yeah, do but they? if you look at what they won, but they uh, but they won hundreds of ads targeted at different people. Some of which are very performance. Yeah. Some of which are kind of quite brand building. Yeah, I mean N- Nike's unusual in like you know they're actually acquiring someone and making huge moves in this space. It's it's a good fit for them because kind of like avatars and digital outfits and stuff is a, is a natural thing. Um, they've made a lot of hype about it. It cost a fair amount of money, but for so them, they're it, already perceived as being that trailblazer so now i feel like they have to live up to it as well it does put a little pressure on i think for most of like web like web three and the metaverse whatever is is coming i think for most marketers it'll be five maybe even ten years before like yeah, yeah it really yeah, has definitely. to be a massive part of what you do doesn't mean you can't play around with it now have some fun with it now it probably will look nothing like what we think it probably won't be you know putting vr headsets on and buying virtual pictures of chocolate bars you know? <laughs> it'll be it'll be something quite different so i think and it's, it comes back to that pilot thing i would absolutely encourage you know, a brand to, to do a pilot in that space but they shouldn't like move all their budget into that they should do that with kind of like their 10 percent innovation fund or with some you know spare money they find after they've done some of the basics and things i think it's, it's very risky territory to move their now because much as it's it, well let's you do it for, if you do it for a pr maybe and i think a lot of that stuff is pr you you know that only a hundred people are actually going to do it but it's going to get your headlines it's going to get people talked about but yeah just a, approach with care and great if you've got the capacity and the budgets to experiment if you haven't watch other people and you'll probably learn from their mistakes and just you know you won't be too far behind in two or three years <laughs> i think that's great advice at the minute especially just let them kind of make the mistakes for now if you're not big enough to, to experiment yourself and then learn from it and I, one final question i think it's clear to see that web3 is here to stay i think it's safe to saying you know with the digital move now into blockchain owned assets you've got virtual experience you've got all sorts there i was actually reading some of your your blogs and articles and at the back in the last year when you described digital transformation you described it as and i'll quote you here jerry one minute i've got it written down changing your marketing approach to meet changing audiences as well mm. as embracing new opportunities to evolve how we work and sell now just looking at i think that actually fit quite nicely with web3 so i guess the big question is does the introduction of web3 impact your philosophy on digital transformation if anything no luck- luckily i still agree with myself i think a couple of things <laughs> i would take out my own quote there i think the first one is audiences so i think with, with any new technology we get super obsessed by the technology and you've got to take a step back and think you know where is my audience what's my audience actually doing like i said earlier we did the first shazamable tv ad back about you know, mm. seven eight years ago and we kind of knew it wouldn't work because like no one was shazamming TV ads, but we got it for free and it was fine. So, you know, <laughs> job done. But like, <laughs> you know, if, if you're going to do something massive on, on VR now, so you just got to be realistic, like a tiny percentage of your consumers has access to any kind of full on VR device. And those people are very specific, affluent, techie people. So, you know, your audience probably isn't there yet. Even in something like NFTs, you know, they're talked about a lot, but a tiny percentage of people has like an Ethereum wallet and the ability to understand what the hell you're talking about, etc. So, you know, be really careful about that. The other one is, yeah, do, do, do these things create new opportunities to sell? Do, you know, do they create new storefronts and stuff? And they almost certainly will. I think there's some odd example. I saw an example of, it was by like a supermarket. It might have been Walmart or some like big American supermarket. They created their like first attempt at Web Web 3. And it was literally a virtual reality of a supermarket. So you could like push a virtual trolley down aisles and, and grab stuff off. Sh- and it just looked horrific. It just looked like so much harder than, than going, well, harder than going to the shop almost. Definitely harder. Harder yeah. than like clicking, 
clicking on icons and just adding things to your basket. Like it was, yeah. it wasn't making it better. And at the last minute, actually, they had this view which was like an electronics store, and actually that was quite interesting because I think when you browse like curry's pc world or something it, it's quite confusing and they'd actually presented that in like different pods and like you could jump to one and there was some, the beginnings of something in that which was like this could be a better way of selling but you don't need to kind of recreate what you already do in 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 a virtual world you need to think about why would it be any better any more easy to the consumer and my simple guiding point on most of that is that consumers are like super super lazy and they really won't bother to do anything. So like lots of there are lots of brilliant ideas for like augmented reality, like stuff that you could get people to do in a store. Like we've we've even tried some ourselves. Like, yeah, people could scan our toothpaste in store and it would give them all the information about the different brands and all these different ideas and stuff. So like, have you ever been to a supermarket? You know, you you grab <laughs> yeah, something. Just like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you, if I you know, s- I do think sometimes though it might be a demographic thing, which is why uh, at the beginning of this episode we stated on purpose young consumers. Yeah. As opposed to like all, because you will get some who are really into AR that tend to skew on the more digital native side. And then obviously like you get, I don't know, like my parents who've been buying toothpaste for 60 years <laughs> and they're obviously never going to do that. And they definitely are. And I think, I mean, I've always thought like if I worked in cereal, I think cereal boxes are a brilliant opportunity for AR because the box is in front mm, of lots you. Lots of retail space. You're sat at a table, like you, you sit there for like 15 minutes or something eating your yeah. cereal. Like, they used to do that. They used to put games and stuff yeah, on Yeah, I think they were, they were, they were playing. You just got to think about the consumer and definitely younger consumers and you know you know there's cool stuff being done with like snapchat lenses and stuff around geolocation there's there's things you can do but just assume that most of your consumers are quite lazy quite time poor Mm. and you know what would actually add to their experience and actually be good versus like what's clever that you can do with your tech with your tech and you know you think is funny like it's quite a different thing (laughs) no definitely and i think that's a good piece of advice to end it on today but thanks so much again for joining us today i hope that everyone will find that really useful no worries thank you for having me Well, I told you Jerry didn't mince his words. No, he doesn't. And I think he lived up to that. I really enjoyed that episode. And again, it's just so refreshing to speak to someone who actually just says it how it is without really offending anyone. It is just clear facts. No, definitely. And I think I've said this before, but throughout all the conversations we've had with brands over the years, it's always really clear that if you don't have a big budget or you're not that big of a brand, you champion organic social. And if you've had the privilege to work in an enormous brand with, you know, a huge budget, then you tend to be more up for speaking about paid and its Mm. merits Um, but Jerry's actually done the whole gambit so it for me made his experience a bit more credible and what he had to say because he's genuinely seen firsthand how a lot of marketers are wasting their time with what they're doing in organic social and I think that was the difference for me he's not saying all organic is pants and like not worth your time (laughs) he's saying what we've like learned to do on organic via organic social isn't like the best use of it or isn't always like the smartest play um, so this hustle culture we were on about about just like trying everything new when it comes to it and not really sticking to anything, but it's it's very short sighted. It's like one thing after the other instead of having a longer term strategy like performance marketing does. Yeah, I like the brutal honesty of you know tweeting something just to stay up to date with a trend. It's usually a little bit pointless unless it actually adds something to your brand proposition. Mm. Although I'm sure there's something to be said for staying relevant. You know, as long as your audience are actually interested in what you're talking about, mm. I think we have to appreciate that. Organic social is a longer game, you know, typically that retention, it takes longer to to really appeal to audiences. And Jerry 
probably leans more towards that performance side of things, you know, which yields much more tangible, quicker results in terms of that bottom line. So I think his views are very interesting on that. I think probably his experience, like you say, he's done it all, but it does lean towards that performance side. So I don't think organic's just dead No, yet. I don't, I don't. If you work primarily in organic, please don't be discouraged. I think, <laughs> you know, it's what we were saying. I think experimentation culture, I think, is a wonderful thing. I just think when that turns into hustle culture and we're always moving on to the next thing, instead of sticking with the few things that you've found that have worked really well for you, um, then you will be wasting time and money, which I do think is what Jory was trying to get at when he's criticising organic. Yeah, well, he touched on the 10% innovation budget, right? Mm-hmm. And just probably nailing down the point for SMEs more than anything. You know, don't constantly throw your strategy out the window just to chase those bigger examples such as Nike that we talked about in Web3. You know, have that 10% innovation budget, but stick to what works for you and eventually then transition your audience across with learnings from these bigger brands because they've been there naturally before you because they've got, bigger budgets to play with but they'll have been innovating before their time so when it actually becomes a thing like web3 probably in like five years time you can learn from what they did learn from their mistakes and actually do it to suit your audience then yeah no definitely i think it's it's a real shame when you see like smaller brands or even like mid-sized brands panicking about things like that when the whole industry is talking about a subject because we're interested by it and it's new and it's novel but it is the industry that's talking about it it's not you know the bulk of your consumers i think I saw um, this video online recently where someone who works in IT was sharing all the requests that they get on a day-to-day basis, um, like in relation to the metaverse, like that's why they were talking about this. And it's people asking the most basic questions about their technology or their like work laptops. And we think about if people are struggling to do that still to this day, mm. I think just because we're tech savvy as, you know, <laughs> marketing professionals, we forget that a lot of people just aren't yet. Um, so it's either going to have to be really easy or it's just not going to happen yet. So, you know, you don't have to answer to the industry. You have to answer to your consumers and, and where they are. Mm-hmm.